What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. What's up? I'm Pete. And we are going to talk about a bunch of comic books we that are. come out this week. Yeah, I think uh, that's what I was oh, thinking we'd do this time. Oh, weird. Really shifted up. Normally, yeah. we talk about cigarettes that we enjoy smoking, but this what? week, we're going to talk about comic books. Um, enough about Newports. Every week, it's Newport Light, <laughs> right? Stop, dude. With the no, menthol tip, and I'm like, enough already. Camel Blues, uh, we bro. We know it's delicious. I love Camel eating blues. them. You eat them, right? You eat cigarettes? Nope. Don't smoke, kids, but do read <laughs> Avengers Forever, number 14, from hey. Marvel, written by Jason Aaron, art by Jim Toe. This is continuing the Avengers Assemble storyline. And now, Doom, the Living Planet, and an army of Doctor Dooms are coming from the multiversal Avengers, including Loki, who has been revealed as Avenger Prime. As usual, with every issue of this crossover, it's a big knockdown dragout fight. But in the middle, we get some surprisingly emotional moments with a bunch of variants of Steve Rogers. We've been loving every issue of this. Do you still love this, Pete? Yeah, I mean, it is just such a kind of epic, uh, uh, over-the-top, but in fun ways kind of thing. I, I love the, you know, it start, well, it doesn't start, start, but kind of in the early on, Doom yelling death to Avengers. Great, just fun. Uh, and then just like the Doom Moon is unbelievable. I mean, just beautiful panels, just like some really amazing epic fighting panels, just some some really uh, impressive stuff that uh, I very much enjoyed. Uh, I, I didn't really enjoy the last panel, but mm-hmm. other than that, I was having a great, great time uh, right up until that point, but just breathtakingly tight bananas art. I, just to keep talking about the art for a second, I was a little worried getting into this, to be honest, because Aaron Cooter wasn't on this issue, and he... Aaron Cooter and Jason Aaron are just this dream team on this title. I love Aaron Cooter's art, so I was worried about, like... It's the A-Train. You know, you got Aaron and Aaron. You know what I mean? Exactly, man. I was worried about having a fill-in here, but I think Jim Toe nailed it in this issue. The characterizations were great. Particularly, there's a sequence between Namor, Doom, and... I'm forgetting who else is there... Uh, but Namor and Doom, oh, Namor, Doom, and Loki, the uh, first yeah. Avenger, Loki, uh, or Avenger Prime, excuse me. That's great. Where it's just three, like, usually villains, but sometimes heroes, all doing defaulting philosophies. Great stuff. Very fun. Ends in a really fun way as well. Let's talk about the last page real quick, just because I know this is a difference of opinion based on character here. Spoiler. Mm-hmm. But one of the wild twists that's been going on with the series is they had an army of multiversal Mephistos, which they dispatched and were like, no, the real bad guy is Dr. Doom here. That's going to be the ultimate villain that we're going to have to take down. By the end of this vid- uh, issue, it turns out Mephisto is actually not defeated. And in fact, our version of Mephisto has been absorbing every Mephisto in the universe in order to do something. Here's here's where I fall on that. I know your thing is like, I don't like Mephisto. Leave Mephisto out of that. Yeah, stop with the fucking devil shit. I have said this before, but I appreciate it. If you're going to have an ultimate villain who's going to destroy the multiverse, why not the devil? Like, you can't really get worse than that. But 
I need there to be not any more shifts. Like, I can't go, it was Mephisto. No, it was Doom. No, it was Mephisto. Like, I don't need another one of those at this point. I want to see Mephisto be the ultimate villain. What does he want? Why does he want the God Quarry? Why are they going to take him down? Because I'm having a blast with this. But just plot lies. Don't don't know. give Jason Aaron notes. If he wants to bring back a, a character that I don't enjoy a couple more times... <laughs> He's going to do it, and you're going to sit back, and you're going to enjoy every you single thing. You made a wild twist from, I didn't like the last page of this issue, to how dare you. Well, I just think it's one of those <laughs> things where the, the guy is killing it. Absolutely. I, th- I, I think what it is, is there's only one being in existence you like less than Mephisto, and it's me. <laughs> no, I just think that... Um, the, Every issue of this has been so fun and so oh, yeah. over the top and uh, and so creative. You know, you're like, all right, stop switching it back and forth. It, no, no, it's, I'm, it's all I'm saying is I don't need one more switch. That's all. Like, I think we're set on it now. Mephisto is the ultimate villain of the crossover. That's great. But I don't need somebody else to come out and be like, no, it was me. I would love time. it if it switched back to Doom. Yeah, but then it switches back to Mephisto again. No. Don't give Jason Aaron notes. <laughs> Next issue, Torrent, number one from Image Comics, written by Mark Guggenheim, art by Justin the and Googs? Greenwood. The Googs. This is a, a new series following a very sunny, happy hero. I want to get into spoilers here because it explains the concept of the book. We start off with her in this very blood-soaked, broken yeah. space. Then we cut to a week earlier, I believe, and it turns mm. out that her arch enemy... By the end of the issue, again, big spoilers here, her arch enemy kills her family in front of her uh, once he finds out her name. We get, over the course of the issue, we find out how he finds out her identity, why he does this thing. So essentially, it's like a vengeance plot type movie, like John Wick style thing, but with superheroes is sort of what I think we're going for here. I was surprised how this went. I thought it was going to be something about video torrenting. It's not. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I thought this was awesome. I love the very cool art style. Loved all the action. Solid story. Uh, I, I think they did a great job of like getting you to understand the world and what's going on. I'm super pumped for more. I thought it was a great first ish. Really set such a high bar with the, all the kind of action and twists and turns. Uh, I was super impressed with it. Yeah, I'm curious to see where this is going because uh, Mark Guggenheim's last book, which I'm forgetting the, the name of, The Googs, last book definitely felt like a movie pitch in comic book form, which this feels like this could potentially lead into as well. But that said, I'm a sucker for revenge plots. The art by Justin Greenwood is great. It feels like Invincible is probably the wrong thing, but it, it's on the side of cartoony. And then, it, oh, it feels a little like Michael A. Von Oming on Powers, I would say. Mm-hmm. And leading into that and then giving it this very dark tinge is kind of fascinating. Next up, one What's of, the, it reminds yeah. me, uh, it's driving me nuts. I can't think of this, so I'm hoping you can help me with this. What's the Mark Millar book with the guy with the two sticks? The, oh, the, yes. 100% it's Kick-Ass. Kick-Ass. Yes, yeah. it is it's 100%. Kick-ass. You're absolutely right. It's Mark Guggenheim's Kick-Ass. Uh, but maybe without the Bellara-isms, there's a yeah. little bit of more humanity going on here that I appreciated. Absolutely. You're absolutely right about that. 
I, I'm very curious to hear about you, this one from you in particular. Icon versus Hardware, number one, from DC Comics, written by Reginald Hudland and Leon Chills, art by Dennis Cowan and Yasmin Flores-Montanez. This is doing exactly what you would expect from the title. It is taking a bunch of dudes in the uh, Milestone universe and pitting them against each other, except, and I got to say this, in the weirdest way possible, where... I am not very familiar with these characters. I don't know what was going on. I really? yeah. So wow. There's it seems like it's following Icon doing stuff. It's right. following hardware doing stuff. Yeah. And then also there's a third story with a girl at a boarding school who's mm-hmm. so having a bit of a hard time there. That was the thing that worked the best for me. I like. I love that girl in the in the school. It was so great. That was great. I didn't mm-hmm. understand how that connected to anything else that was going on, and I also didn't understand how the three sections of it. And mind you, they happen. They're not like three stories. It's three uh, things that are happening simultaneously. Being not familiar with the universe, it was hard for me to get into this. Uh, Pete, it sounds like you liked it a little bit better. Oh, my God. I loved it. Uh, Also, Hudlin. I mean, the dude is a legend. Uh, So really excited that uh, he's uh, doing this comic um, for what he did for Black Panther was unbelievable. So very excited. I like the kind of retro art style that we're going for here. Uh, Kind of iconic or, you know, icon. But uh, uh, for the kind of time period, I'm glad they kind of brought that art style with them. Um, But yeah, to kind of get to your point of, you know, hardware has kind of got different things going on. So I liked how he kind of sent her off to the school to kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, give her kind of a break and, and, and have her deal with some other things than this kind of battle that he's, uh, that he's got. So, um, but yeah, I, I've, uh, I didn't have a hard time following it. I think it's one of those things where you're getting a little bit of old school with some updated feel to it. Um, so I'm ex- excited to see how this is all going to unfold. But as far as the first issue, um, uh, kind of felt like a little bit of like when Tallahassee Coates brought, uh, took over Black Panther, did a great job. I'm of sorry, doing- did you just call him Tallahassee Coates? Uh, uh, yeah, Johnny, I'm not Easy Crows. Yeah, I'm not good at pronouncing <laughs> okay. the name. It's, it's no, a tough name. Uh, I love calling him Tallahassee Coates. Well, Tallahassee uh, Coates is his Western cousin. Okay, great. So, yes. yeah, I mispronounced his name. But when he uh, started his run on Black Panther, he did such a great job of uh, kind of uh, giving a nod to the storylines that came before him. So we're kind of getting with the icon and hardwire, we're kind of getting a lot of like there's baggage that's going on before we kind of get into this new arc. So I feel like it's a very cool idea, and uh, I'm excited to see – uh, how this all kind of unfolds, but uh, solid first ish, and I really like the art kind of retro style uh, type bananas. Well, so it sounds like if you're a milestone fan, this might work a little better for you. Mm-hmm. All right, there you go. Fantastic Four number four from Marvel, written by Ryan North, art by Ivan Coelho. In this issue, we finally. After four whole issues, find out what's been going on with the Fantastic Four, why they had to leave New York, as Reed Richards and uh, Sue Storm investigate a dome outside a small town that looks a lot like the thing through what's going on with the thing at Alicia Masters. We find out exactly what happened here. I thought this was a great emotional payoff. There was a moment late in the issue with Reed Richards that 
got me, like really just pang in the heart got me towards the end there. And brought into focus, I've been loving this title so far in terms of its focus on these done-in-ones, Outer Limits-style mysteries, and they, this still has that sense of it here, but there's really a sense of emotion between the family that Ryan North brings in the writing, that Evan Coelho brings in the art. I was very impressed with how this brought together. Very curious and excited to see where it goes, particularly after the tease at the end of the issue. It was a great, fantastic forerun so far. Yeah, I was more impressed with the art. I mean, I really loved a lot of the kind of like thing action panels that are going on in this. Some really just uh, impressive work. Uh, yeah, I you know, Fantastic Four is not one of my favorite uh, Marvel properties. So the family stuff and whatever, whatever, I've seen it done a million times with Fantastic Four. So yeah, they're gonna at the end of it really come together as a unit. But um, yeah, um, interesting issue. Uh, impressive art. Uh, yeah, pretty cool. Well, let me just talk about this just to get specific, and this gets into spoilers, but I want to explain why I like this so much, and then we can move on to the next one. So it's revealed that what happened to New York was a nihilist, and the negative zone was attacking the Baxter building. Right. The Fantastic Four didn't know how to get out of it. It's an overwhelming army. They're going to kill a lot of people. And Reed comes up with a solution in the middle, and his solution is... He basically separates the army and the Baxter building and the several block radius around it into different time periods. So the Annihilus army ends up in space and everybody else ends up being sent a year in the future. But he explains you can't through time travel, you can't contact it, you can't ruin it, we can't travel. So anybody who is in there for in that radius of what he took out to keep them safe is going to show up a year later, totally safe, kind of like the blip from the MCU. It's the same sort of thing, but a year. Uh, and that was the only solution he could think of at the time. And it's he just, get, okay, well, and it, I'll it's let you frustrating. Finish. Like the thing is you hear it and you hear Reed Richards frustrate it. And you're in the position of Alicia masters of the thing who are like, you sent our kids a year in the future. What are you doing? You absolute asshole. No, you cannot make that decision without us. How did you do that? You piece of shit. And they play it out and they play out the scene. And you get to see this whole scene through their perspective with Reed doing his classic science language. Like, well, I played all the numbers and here's how it would have happened. And the way that Ryan North writes it is it's this very classic Fantastic Four scene of Reed being a dick, using science to explain his bad decisions to everybody and being like, I don't understand why you're so upset about it. But then after multiple other things happened to the issue, we cut back to that scene and we see it from the thing's perspective. And there's this panel of just Reed crumbling and crying and being held by Sue Storm it's the first time I've ever seen Reed Richards express emotion in a Fantastic Four comic book and realize the weight of his actions and realize that I think they sent their kids away as well and his kids are gone. And this idea that the thing in this issue is in a time bubble where basically has to relive this horrible moment over and over. But ultimately, the power of the thing isn't his fists. The power of the thing is his empathy and understanding what Reed Richards is going through and that he did the wrong thing, but Reed knows he does the wrong thing and doesn't know how to express it, I thought was really beautiful. 
Well, that's nice, man. I'm glad that that got to you and really touched you. Uh, to me, it's just another example of Reed Richards being a fucking douche and, uh, you know, and everybody else having to deal with his douchiness. Um, also, you know, if you're a parent, you can't just blip your kids to when they're cooler and easier to deal with. You know what I mean? You can't just like fast forward your kids like, oh, this is a tough age. You know, it'd be great is when they got maybe a little bit older and I can but talk to them But that's not what they're more. doing. In fact, that's exactly the what he's doing as a parent. He's just slipping away. That's like, the maybe opposite. Year, that's not how the blip talk to you. Yeah, yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, They're not a year older. They're going to be the same age. If anything, it's hitting them on pause for a year. Yeah, either way, it's a shitty move as a parent. You know what I mean? You got to let them grow. You got to let them grow at their own pace, and you can't blip them. You can't fast forward them. You can't keep them. I blip my kids, and my life has been so good. Hold on to them and hope they never grow up. It's been so good. I've had so much more time since I blipped my kids, to be honest with you. (laughs) I bet. Rockstar and Softboy go to space number one from Image Comics by Cena Grace. This is a Goofmatron 3000, this issue, with (laughs) two dudes going through a bunch of wild, extremely gay adventures in space and with Sailor Moon-type characters and a bunch of other things going. It's just, here's what I respect about this. Cena Grace has a tone, has an idea goes for it and nails it. Whether that works for you or not, I think that's up for whether you're on the same vibe or not. I certainly laughed a bunch while I was reading this issue. Curious to hear what you think, Pete. Yeah, I, uh, first off, I love the animation style art. You know, it's it sets up to have like a really cool feel to it. This kind of cute, but fun and funny. Uh, uh, yeah, I think it's a very enjoyable uh, issue. And there's a lot of madness and uh, uh, fun uh, jokes and ideas flying around all over the place. And it's over the top and uh, but also, uh, you know, very enjoyable. Yeah. And also it keeps going. It is not a short issue either. I kept nope. reading it and being like, wow, that was quite an adventure. They went, oh, there's more. Okay, there, we go. <laughs> there we go. So if you're looking at Pat, an issue packed with the jokes, this is a good one to check out. Next up, Lazarus Planet Dark Fate, number one from DC Comics, written by Tim Seeley, Dennis Culver, AJ Kaplan, and Alyssa Wong. Art by Baltimore Rufus, Chris Burnham, AJ Kaplan, and Hanning. This is continuing this crossover. Yeah. Where a bunch of Lazarus Lane is falling on DC Universe, creating some new heroes, kind of tying it in other places. Some of these issues have had light themes. This one is the most like, here's a bunch of stuff. Here you go. What do you think? Except like, no, no, no. Except like all of them, I still really enjoyed the story. In particular, uh, though I really like Tim Seeley and Baltimore Rivas's Huntress story. I thought that was a really good kickoff. Yes. Dennis Culver and Chris Burnham's Doom Patrol story was yes. great. And in particular, Chris Burnham on art on Doom Patrol is such a good fit. I'm so, so excited great. to read that. So great. But um, I love these the Lazarus Planet collection of story ideas. This is such a fun. I'm having such a blast with this. I really I thought I'd be like, okay, let's get it. I, I'm having such a fun time with these collection of stories. Um, a little Wong story with a spoiler and the girl with the giant sword and Constantine was also really great. Um, I, you know. I, 
I, I, you know, it was just really, I thought, like, an interesting collection of stories. I, I liked the Huntress one as well. Um, yeah, I'm having a blast with this. I agree. If you're looking for a bunch of fun short stories set in the DC universe, check out this Lazarus Planet stuff. It doesn't make much sense plot-wise as a thing. Ah, but stop. It's fine. It's fine. Here's something that does make sense plot-wise, though. The Invincible Iron Man number three from Marvel, written by Jerry Dugan, art by Juan Fugari. Tony Stark is being attacked by an unknown assailant who last issue killed his most trusted confidant in this issue. Iron Man teams up with Rhodey to try to figure out who it is. This is great. The level of danger is very high for Tony. And I was struck this issue in particular. I feel like they're redefining Iron Man in a very similar way to the Captain America story is redefining Steve Rogers right now. It's very early going for that, but I'm getting the same sort of feeling in terms of a very bold, very new, very exciting take on Tony Stark. What do you think, Pete? Cool. Well, I'm glad you're having such a good time with it. I'm, uh, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of a little bit, a uh, little bit kind of like, all right, like, but I mean, you know, it's kind of like, oh, who can be this bad? You know, it's, oh, it's a evil robot Tony. So, all right. Uh, but, um, yeah, there's also a lot of great relationship stuff and interesting. How, how jaded to- are you that uh, you say the phrase evil robot Tony and you're like, whatever, man. Yeah, whatever, man. I mean, whatever, man. Uh, Just an yeah. evil robot of Iron Man. It's no big deal. Who looks like him, and then his face melts. Who yeah, cares? His face melts off, and then he's like, "I'm gonna come and come and get me, man. It's gonna be a crazy showdown." Yeah. I'm not really interested in this. I'm more interested in smoking my Newport lights under the bleachers. You know, the ones with the menthol tips. Oh my god, dude! What? <laughs> You're so old. <laughs> It's the only type of cigarettes I can keep down, honestly. Like, I don't understand how you guys eat this stuff. Dude, they have candy cigarettes. They're so much easier to eat, bro. I, that sounds crazy. Stop making stuff up. What's the <laughs> furthest place from here? Number 11 from Image Comics, written by Matthew Rosenberg, art by Tyler Moss. In this issue, we are following a character who's joined with bunch of animal children outside town and becomes ingratiated with them. There's a big twist at the end in terms of several of our main characters. Another great issue of this book. Every issue is, is so good. Tyler this is Bosch the Valentine's Day issue. Oh, is it? You think? Well, I mean, you got, uh, you know, two lovers from different worlds. How mm. are they going to make it work? You know, yeah. that kind of setup, you know. And this is your dream, right, Pete? A girl in an animal mask sneaks into your tent and just has sex with you in the middle of the night? I was reading your diary. I'm sorry. <laughs> Stop doing that. All right. Sorry, bud. Yeah. This book is so good. If you're not picking it up, it is one of the most original, unique books on the stand. And the way that they spin out the mythology bigger and bigger each issue, even with issues like this that seemingly focus on uh, such a small part of the world, we're still getting these hints and teases of bigger things that are going on. Phenomenal. Yeah, I love the lack of words and the the space for imagination here and also just uh, – the the small moments that are so huge it's very very cool uh, uh what 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 they're, they're able to accomplish in this comic book danger street number three from dc comics written by tom king art by jorge fornis in this issue a lot of stuff's happening with a lot of characters 
I, I'm a sucker for how these start. Like the helmet of fate just yelling, our story continues, is hysterical, and I eat it up every time. Um, yeah, I, I, I feel like, you know, Tom King's going to give you a story, and it's going to slowly unfold. He's going to give you a little bit each time, and you're going to say, thank you, Tom King. May I have some more information, please? And he's going to say, <laughs> no, no, no. You wait until the next issue. This is a great time. Uh, I really enjoyed the pool hopping kids stuff. This is just uh, fantastic. There's, there's some great scenes in here, and I really am very interested and enjoy all these characters. The stuff with Starman and... Gladiator, I want to yeah, say. I don't sure. remember. Um, it was, bonding with the TV producer was interesting. The stuff with the kids in the pool was interesting. Love the stuff with the lady cop fumbling with a printer. Just a like, fun, like mm-hmm. low-key sort of thing. I wish the rest of the book managed, uh, matched the energy of that Dr. Fate narration at the beginning and the end. And I understand that's part of the bit. That's the joke, is that Dr. Fate being like, our story continues, and now we join up with the lady cop. And the lady cop's like, God damn it, this toner and this fucking print. Like, I understand the contrast is the joke here, but yeah. the characters that they're working with, I'm just not getting enough every issue to have a sense of what this book is yet. Oh, wait, what? There's a Tom King book where you're not getting enough information? Except, oh. I understand what you're saying, except... Every issue of Human Target makes me feel something. Every issue of uh, what was the Adam Strange book called? Not Adam Strange. Strange. Adam Strange was that it? No, that was not no, it. I that absolutely know. was not it. Uh, but the Adam Strange book gave me something. Every issue of even like Heroes in Cri- Heroes in Crisis actually, I think, is a good comp for this because there was not enough going on every issue of Heroes in Crisis for me to be like. What is the story? What are we following? What's going on here? So I love looking at Hori Fortis's art. I'm very intrigued to see where this is go, and it's clearly building up to something, but it's not enough of a morsel. It's sort of like it's like past hors d'oeuvres is what it is, where it's like every couple of hours somebody comes by and is like, Would you like one pig in a blanket? Like, sure, I love pig in the blankets. That's great. That's delicious. Can I have oh, you're gone? Okay, I'll just yeah. stand here and chat with my friends for a little bit. And then a couple of hours later, they're like, one tiny crab cake? Would you like one? T-? And you're like, yeah, that's great. That sounds delicious. I love a little tiny crab cake. And, they're like, and then they're gone again. So, so let me just get this right. You're like, Tom King, I love you. Just stop being so Tom King about these things. I think so, yeah. Wow. Okay. There you go. No, I'm just saying this might be one that you want to read in the trade or wait until there's a bunch of issues because – Gorgeous to look at, very well written, interesting characterization, but not quite enough every issue. Oh. Murder World, Moon Knight number one from Marvel, written by Jim Zub and Ray Fox, art by Luca Pizzari. This is almost bringing things to an end here as our final contestants think they've cracked Murder Worlds and are on their way to kill Arcade in this issue. There's obviously some twists. Moon Knight shows up, except, of course, this robot Moon Knight and maybe the funniest Moon Knight you've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, it was hilarious. Yeah. I I love this series. I know. I'm having such a great time. Like, this, for me, it really clicked in, and uh, uh, I, I thought this was so enjoyable. The Myrtle World stuff, I wasn't having as much fun until this issue, and now I can't get enough. The whole, like... Uh, moon punch and moon kick bit was hysterical. Seeing Moon River, uh, 
amazing last panel. Uh, yeah, I feel like this is doing a great job of building on what they've done before and kind of having some fun with it. And this all kind of came together in this issue. Uh, amazing art. This is just, uh, this is really fun. Yeah, this is a great book that you definitely should be picking up. And I got to be honest, I hope Arcade wins. I want Arcade what? wins. What? Come on, I dude. Do. Dude. I, want, I want that dude to pull out a win. He's had a rough no. of it, honestly. The Last Barbarians, number one from Image Comics, written by Brian Haberlin and Hannah Wall, art by Brian Haberlin. This takes place in a fantasy world where you got to choose a specialization or else you end up being a barbarian. Our main character, of course, is exactly that and is just trying to find a place in the world. What do you think about this one? This was cool. I really thought the more kind of like computer art style was very interesting. The panel with the, the whales in the sky, though, was just so cool. Uh, kind of classic setup here of like, okay, we have some uh, barbarians and they got to kind of find a quest and what they're going to do with that kind of stuff. But I thought for a first ish, they did a great job of setting up this world and getting you excited for more. Yeah, I would have wanted like a little bit more in the first issue in terms of the adventure, but the place that they left it at the end, it it sort of sped up in the last couple of pages. It was like, here's a bunch of information and new characters, and here we go, and here's what's actually going to happen in this book, which I almost wish would have happened like halfway through to get me a little more engaged in it. But I like the main character. The art is interesting, like you said. Definitely curious to check out the second issue on this one. Speaking of second issues that I was curious to check out, Swamp Thing, Green Hell, number two from DC Comics, written by Jeff Lemire, art by Doug Mankey. This is one that I had to rack back through my brain to remember the first issue of this book and whether this was actually the thing I, I thought I was reading. Also, Jeff Lemire famously not giving us enough in every issue. Here, lots of stuff going on. Doug Mankey's art, stuff. Stuff. Doug Mankey's art, phenomenal. Yeah. Oh my God. This, by the way, just to give you a little bit of the plot, if you don't remember this book, like I did not initially remember this book, this takes place in a post apocalypse where everything's ruined because of pollution and stuff. Constantine has called back Swamp Thing from his safe haven where he was finally happy and safe. There's some evil Swamp Things and pollution things and other things that are coming for him. If you want to see disgusting monster action, Doug Mankey draws oh, the man. shit out of it honestly uh what'd you think pete yeah i i really love the constantine stuff um uh you know we're kind of dealing with you know swan thing you know kind of losing his powers a little bit and raising the stakes on what he's doing which i thought was a really cool move um i'm worried about swamp thing in this it I, this is a, a kind of a crazy place to be uh, I love the moment where with uh, uh, Dead Man there and Constantine, really funny. Um, yeah, I, I the art was creepy as hell, but in all the right ways. The, yeah, this is this was super impressive. Um, yeah, you don't uh, normally Jeff Lemire kind of pulls the Tom King where he gives you a little bit, but the, you get a lot in this issue. This is jam packed. Mary Jane and Black Cat, number three from Marvel, written by Jim McKay, art by Vincenzo Carudo. Even though they have removed the dark web 
branding for the front. This is still very much Mary Jane and Black Cat still in limbo. Now they're working with Sim to try to get a soul sword and bring it back to Belasco. This is still continuing that crossover. The characterization here, as usual for Jimmy K, is great. Mary Jane and Black Cat's relationship is a lot of fun to watch. Of course, it's centered around Peter. There's some secrets there that are going on. I also love Sim as a character. He's one of my favorite Limbo, Ileana, Rasputin related characters. So I had a lot of fun reading this. And it ends in a great place that really promises some big stuff coming down in the next issue. Pete, what did you think? Yeah, I feel like they keep doing this. They're kind of dancing around things. And then at the last panel, they're like, oh, this is about Peter, isn't it? Yeah. Stop teasing us. Stop fucking dancing around it. All right. Uh, Give it to us for the love of God. Otherwise, don't do this. Uh, But, yeah, there's a lot of fun and action and adventure in this. Uh, I also really liked uh, Black Cat uh, calling the monster guy Grape Eight. Uh, grape ape so that was just mm-hmm. that was enjoyable um uh yeah uh but yeah i just feel a little bit uh i feel like they're playing with my emotions and i want them to stop well i think there a lot of that is going to come out in the next issue which i'm very interested to see because I think yeah black- it just seems like it's always oh no wait till next issue oh we're gonna tease it a little bit that the next and then you get to the next issue and you're like huh i'm here What's happening? And they're like, no, 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 the next one. Here's the next issue in our stack, though. Hexware number three from Image Comics, written by Tim Silly, art by Zulema Scato-Levina. This is following a woman who died, was resurrected in a robot body, and now every night, every day, she pretends to be a robot maid for her former family, and every night she goes out and kills demons. There's some big changes in her status quo, this issue. Like I talked about, I was very confused with the first issue, like that they laid out the concept of the second issue. And in this third issue, I think they really cemented it and dove further into the emotional life of the character. I am liking this more and more every time out of the gate. I agree. This is really kind of hitting its stride. This is kind of um, great kind of Tim Seeley story and action. He does a great job of balancing both. Uh, We got some uh, really cool art that has kind of an edgy feel to it that I really like. Um, Yeah, I just feel like they're they're kind of like, okay, we got the premise out of the way. Now we're kind of rolling in the story and uh, it's getting exciting and things are turning up. So, yeah, I'm having a good time with this. Yeah, this is a great one. If you felt mixed after hearing our review of issue one, go back. Pick up issue one, pick up issue two, get in with issue three. This is a great one to jump on board. Wasp number two from Marvel, written by Al Ewing, art by Cassian Nee. In this issue, our two wasps are continuing to track down who has been attacking them and who sent Whirlwind for them. It, of course, ties back to their various histories in some big ways and presages some big changes by the end of the issue. I really like this as a Wasp adventure, and I think the relationship between the two characters, Janet Van Dyne and Nadia, is really good. What about you, Pete? Yeah, I really like the relationship. I loved all the Red Room talk. That was very cool. Loved all the action. Super tight bananas art. I was having a great time up until they died at the end. R.I.P., I guess. Yeah, Fun series. It's weird that they teased an issue three when they're both dead. Yeah. Man. 
Bummer. Oh, well. I, oh, well. I was having up a great time up until that point. I know, right? I'm not even going to pick up the third issue. <laughs> Shirtless Bear Fighter 2, number seven from Image Comics, written by Jody LaHoop, art by Neil Vendrell. This is the final issue of the second volume of Shirtless Bear Fighter. And I'll tell you what, this is one of, if not my issue of the week. I cannot believe how hard this issue went. Not only was this final fight between Shirtless Bear Fighter and Ursa Major, who is an enormous star bear, as ludicrous and joke-filled as anything else that's been in this series, but it also had so many wonderful emotional moments that were perfectly paced out throughout with Shirtless Bear Fighter, with the woman that he works with, with his mom. I was stunned. Dude, him sitting in the reserve chair, just like not oh knowing my why. God. God, dude, it broke me. I was like, oh, it's so sad. I can't, like, each time I pick up this comic, I'm like, all right, well, it can't be as crazy and this unbelievable. It's the last issue. It can't keep going like this. And it delivers every time. This it does such a great job of each issue setting a high bar and then jumping over it. It was, this is such a crazy premise. This is such an insane idea. Yet the heart and the, the, the choices that they're making are smart and fun and exciting. The fights are ridiculous and great. It's, it's, it's the total package. It really does an unbelievable job. Of uh, giving you story, action, and uh, uh, also some heart. Yeah, absolutely. If you did miss it, definitely go and pick it up in train. Next up, Nightcrawlers, number one from Marvel, written by Simon Spurrier, art by Paco Medina. This is part of the Sins of Sinister crossover, showing us a apocalyptic future where Sinisters have taken over basically the entire universe. Here we're following a bunch of Nightcrawler clones who have other folks' DNA in them as they all become self-aware and fight against Sinister. Uh, lots going on here, Pete. Lots going on here. Yeah. Um, first off, I mean, they're having a lot of fun in this. The Legion of the Night, the all Nightcrawlers team is is such a cool, fun concept. The... Any last words? Smurfette line was uh, was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, it's just um, there's a lot happening, mm-hmm. and uh, you kind of get thrown into it, and you're just kind of like, "What? Oh, enjoyable. Wait, what? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I, I don't know. Uh, my head was kind of spinning from it, but I was having a good time." Yeah, I think that's up to the cleanness of Paco Medina's art more than anything. The action is clear. What is happening is clear throughout. Simon Spurrier, though, is definitely leading into his biggest, like, I'm writing a European sci-fi comic that happens to be an X-Men book. Uh, Impulses. (laughs) So reading that, you're like, what? Was this translated for the French? What's happening here? But... I don't know. Like you said, there's definitely moments where you're like, oh, that's good. Can we? No? Okay, we're <laughs> on to the next thing. All right. All right. Sounds fine. Speaking of jumping through a lot of different things, let's talk about 8 Billion GDs, number seven from Image Comics oh from Soul Art by Ryan Brown. Now, every issue of this has jumped forward eight something. So, like eight seconds, eight minutes, eight hours, et cetera, and showed us what happened as everybody gets genies that grant them one wish. 
Here we're getting the first eight decades was the biggest chime jumps we have so far. And I'll tell you what, the entire issue I was wrestling with, like, was this a mistake that they made? Like, not an accident mistake, but like, was it a mistake to structure the story this way that you're going to jump this far into the future and show us these characters we followed, but showing them dying or showing them getting old or showing us moving past there? And I think ultimately I fell on the side of I appreciate the ambition here, but it definitely kept me remote emotionally from what's going on. What was crazy for me was I kept looking back at the cover because it's saying number seven of eight. And I was like, because this feels like the last issue. What? But uh, first off, just wow. Uh, Some really touching, amazing moments they did. Uh, they connected a bunch of things. What a ride. Uh, it's been really such a cool thing to watch this kind of like population rise and fall between the humans and genies and like the tension and all that kind of stuff. Uh, can't say enough about how tight the bananas are on the art on this thing. It is just super tight and super creative and amazing that, that this, um, but yeah, this, I was surprised at every, how everything kind of wrapped up in this issue, and it felt like the end, even though we got one more ish. That's yeah. the only negative thing to say about it because it's no. been crazy of a ride, and I'm so happy to read all of them. They're making decisions here. Like, they're making big decisions in terms of the writing, in terms of the direction of the story. So it's interesting to see that. I feel like I'm reading it a little more clinically because of that, but very curious to see how it ends up, the next issue. This has been a really fascinating series. Yes, that's a great way to word it. It's it's super creative and fascinating and very such an interesting idea to watch get played out, you know? Here's what I'm curious to hear about, Pete, and whether this is going to be a fight or not. Wolverine number 30 from Marvel, written by Benjamin Percy, art by Juan Jose Rip. In this issue, Wolverine finally has most of his brain back after Beast essentially stole it and broke him and kept killing him over and over and used him as a mindless assassin. And so Wolverine is going around with Sage and trying to figure out where Beast is and why he is doing this. That brings him in contact with his old friend, who is basically the dude from Big Lebowski, who is a CIA contact. Um, Not to start this off potentially on a bad foot, because I know you've been furious about this whole run. This, I think, is one of the best Wolverine stories I've ever read. I'm sorry, Pete. <laughs> Pete, by the way, just you know, threw off. You did not off just his... say that. You did not just say that. I just said that. Unbelievable. This oh. is. I understand if you're a Beast fan and you're upset about the direction they're taking Beast, but in terms of Wolverine. Like we've talked about with every issue of this so far, can I just throw this out there? Breaking him down to his core components, taking everything away from him and finding how does he fight past that? How does he get past that? And how does he become who he is again? They're crushing it. The moment in here where 
he Sage is like, we got to take this very carefully. And he's like, I don't have time for this. <laughs> and she's like, you don't even know if this guy knows where Beast or your friend are. And you're just grabbing a guy in a parking lot. He's like, yeah, I don't care. And grabs the guy in the parking lot. He's like, hey, I got these claws. This is what they do. They pop out. They're really sharp. They go back in and then they pop out. You see what I say? Do I need to show you again? It's like, uh, the guy's like, I'll tell you whatever I want. <laughs> Such a perfect, amazing Wolverine scene, and the way that Juan Jose Rip paces that out is phenomenal. I loved it. Pete, for the counterpoint, take it away. All right, first off, that scene was unbelievable, because I was like, what is he doing? Because he's like, see these claws? Extends them and then pulls them back. Do you want me to show you again? He's like, oh my God, no. And then he puts him on the dude, he puts his hand on the dude's fucking nutsack to be like, <laughs> if you don't answer my question, you're getting fucking claws to the nuts. Like it was insane. So, yes, that panel was badass. But let me just ask you a question, Zelvin, do you like it when your parents fight? Do you like it two people you would love and admire are not getting along when they're supposed to be teaming up together to fight evil and now they're fighting each other? It is a layer of stress and madness that eats at me while I'm trying to read this and I can't enjoy it because two of my favorite teammates are fucking fighting each other and I... I'm stressed out. I hate it. I don't like that they're fighting. I don't know why they're fighting. I don't understand either point of view. And to see them just destroy each other's lives is fucking heartbreaking. It's awful. I wish I could erase some of the memories I've that this comic is creating. Um, yes, there are badass moments in it. And oh my God. What Wolverine does to Beast is gratifying for the revenge aspect, but I just, it is so stressful because I'm just like, guys, stop. Why? Why can't you? What, what is happening? Well, that's what has gone wrong. I completely why understand. Why are you against each other? I completely understand, and I completely understand that's why you don't. This is upsetting for you, but that's why it's working for me is because it is eliciting the exact same emotional reaction you are having, where that is what the writer is intending. The writer is intending you're in this place of, why are Wolverine and Beast fighting? Why is Beast doing this? What happened to Beast that turned him so bad? And he or ends up in a place Beast know right. that Wolverine doesn't. And why it wouldn't he talk stressful. to him about it instead of turning him into this play thing? It is, you know, you know Wolverine's going to come at you, bro. You know you're not going to get away with this. Why do you think? You well, know, but like, that's the thing. It's like, what is he planning that? Because... Spoilers here, but Beast just, it, it seems to be a different Beast, at least the way that he looks, is running away from Wolverine very casually. Wolverine catches him and is like, I'm going to kill you. And Beast is like, I know. He kills him. And then Beast comes back in a secret resurrection changer and is like, now everything changes. That's the sort of level of storytelling. And mind you, a lot of it has to do with the execution of where we're going, why Beast is doing this, what his plan is, how this is all going to turn out. The ending is very important here. But along for this ride of like, all of these questions you're asking are terrifying and fascinating and have me on the edge of the seat because I have to know. I have to know what made Beast do this. Why is Beast doing this? Why are they at odds here? How are everything going to change? 
it's the sort of storytelling that feels very big and very rare, particularly when we're promised big changes and events, and often they're very cyclical. What are the actual changes that are going to happen here in this Wolverine title at the same time? I'm nervous and excited and scared to find out. And that's the place that they're putting us in as readers. That is purposeful. Well, I'm glad you're having fun being tortured. I I love it. Torture me, baby. Also, it's a horrible time. Like, the X-Men is already such a shit show right now to pull this shit now when I'm already pissed at what you guys are doing. Like, what the fuck, people writing X-Men right now? Like, how... You know what I mean? Like, stop fucking torturing us. You know what I mean? Like, give us some solid ground before you pull this move. Jesus Christ. It's one thing after another with these guys. (laughs) Oh, boy. These kids, get off of my lawn. Unbelievable. The Deadlock E number six from Image Comics, written by Melissa Flores, art by French Carlo Magno. This is the final issue for now of this book. It's coming back later on. But first... It's going to enter into a whole big massive verse crossover with the Dead Lucky and Radiant Black and Rogue Sun, among other characters. But this wraps it up in a very surprising way, where ultimately the Dead Lucky has been fighting against this technocratic fascism that has taken over San Francisco finds a different way to combat it uh, without spoiling too much about what happens. Pete, what do you think about this wrap up issue here? Excuse me. Um, yeah, I just I feel like the action of this is great. Love the anime style to it. It's really cool and unique. Are you dying? You know, Are you? Yeah, yeah. I'm. Okay. I'm, st- I'm just. I. You know. You got me so worked up. I'm having a hard time calming down and, and using words yeah, well, again. Listen, could you not have a heart attack until after the podcast is done? Right. Because we really got to get this. Then you had people. the kind of epic moment where they said the name of the comic in this. So that's uh, that's always uh, a huge <laughs> move. So big moments in this. I'm loving this. I continue to love this. It's uh, it's great. The Vampire Slayer number 11 from Boob Studios, written by Sarah Galley, art by Hannah Templar. In this issue, finally get the revelations we've been waiting for for 11 issues at this point, as Buffy, spoiler, finds out that everybody manipulated her and took her Slayer powers away from her. This is all in service of Willow is out of control. This book is phenomenal. This is the best Buffy that I have read since... Uh, this is the best Buffy has been since, I, I don't know, season two of the show, probably, honestly. Wow. Like, there's other high points that have happened throughout of it, but this is great. This is better than, easily better than when Joss Whedon was writing the Buffy the Vampire Slayer comic books. This is my favorite thing that I've read. I've loved it. Uh, what do you think, Pete? Yeah, I mean, uh, we're really starting to get things clicking finally. Uh, we're, at first, we were just kind of like, what's going on? Why are there all these differences? What's going on? So now things are really kind of... And it was such a classic kind of Buffy moment of like, first we need to get Buffy's Slayer powers back. My what? You know, so just fun, uh, great kind of stuff that uh, really feels like the kind of thing that kind of got it going and made it so popular. So I feel like they're doing a good job with all these choices, kind of bringing it back to a great place. Uh, But yeah, uh, fantastic art. And if you like Buffy, you will love this. 
There you go. Great characterization of Faith in particular in this issue, and Xander with the baby crab and the Bjorn is very fun. Art Brute, number three from Image Comics, written by W. Maxwell Prince, art by Martin Morazzo. In this issue, another icon of the art world is being targeted by somebody who seems to be Andy Warhol, maybe is, maybe isn't. This time he's going after the scream after taking down Mona Lisa. Pete, I know you love this issue. Take it away. For, yeah, first off, the cover of this is just so absolutely glorious, just so fantastic, so well done. This is such a crazy, uh, crazy and creative uh, comic. I'm really loving how smart it is, and it's such a uh, just cool idea, fun idea, um, and uh, super creative. This jumping into paintings, exploring these worlds, and this guy's friends are all these famous paintings. I, I just think it's such a great idea, and I don't want to leave this world. Uh, uh, super lethal type bananas art. Uh, I, I just, I, I, I love it. I absolutely love this book. Yeah, and it's so different from Ice Cream Man as well, just in terms of tone and the propulsiveness of the action. It's great to see this team doing something entirely different. Boosley, number two for Boob Studios, written by Rob Gilroy, art by Sam Lofty. We had talked a little bit about how the first issue of this had some wild swings and changes and twists. Specifically, we met a man who was training some AI. Then we jumped to the future, where he was a janitor, holding out to the old ways against the new AI robot taking over world. And then in the last little bit, he got seemingly a magic hammer and decided to wreck shit in this robot world. Yeah. That's where we pick up in the second issue. Pete, you had to love this. Just Oh, my God. Old man uh, with a hammer. I mean, just loved it. Uh, nothing like a crotchety person who's going to uh, take things... Uh, take things to another level. Yeah, crazy sick bananas art. Uh, the pace, the action, uh, just one goon versus godlike r- robots. Uh, just I uh, love the kind of underdog story of that. Also, very touching moment with his daughter uh, in the beginning, which was very cool. Um, yeah, really impressed. Great stuff. I Hate Fairyland, number four, from Image Comics, written by Scotty Young, art by Brett Bean. In this issue, Gert gets swallowed by a giant monster and tries to have sex with its innards. So another issue of I Hate Fairyland, I guess. It's a crazy coming-of-age story. It's uh, really over-the-top and crazy fun. and Coming-of-age uh, story? Well, it's we're seeing Gert kind of grow up in this fairyland. That's Isn't I mean. she already in her 30s at this point? Is she? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I yeah. thought you. Would I mean, I guess a, everybody's always growing. So that's true. Um, yes. You're still growing. Gert, the, Gert was small and. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This podcast is really your growing up story, Pete. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> but uh, yeah, just crazy over the top fun. Yeah. If you're looking for grossness and ridiculous humor, this is a great one to check out. And last but not least. House of Slaughter, number 12 for Boob Studios, written by Tate Bromble, art by Antonio Fuso. In this issue, we are continuing to follow the story of our rogue House of Slaughter member taking a bunch of kids through the woods. There's some betrayals. There's some deaths, some other things going on. Pete, what do you think about this? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I love House of Slaughter. Um I, there is this part where, and this is spoilers, but it's like they say to this little kid that they've just said, saved, they're like, hey, remember that monster that attacked you? Well, it had babies, and we're going to go kill it. Want to watch? And it's like, 
such a intense, amazing splash page. I love these stories. I love how they're exploring different houses of slaughter here and different people. Uh, it's just so uh, well kind of blown out these worlds and what they're exploring. Unbelievable action, unbelievable kind of like intense, like this little kid was the bait for this whole thing. I, I just love the reveals. Um, it's so smart. Such a great issue. I'm having such a blast with this. And the art is super tight bananas. It's a great book. Definitely pick it up. Whether you're reading Something is Killing the Children or not. And that's it for this well, week's stat. Oh, it's yeah. not it. It's not it. Oh. I just wanted to take a wow. moment. Uh, I had uh, mentioned on an earlier trivia the Batman spawn unplugged, which means the uh, the words were taken away and it's all black and white, really heightening the art. And I just wanted to say it was glorious and really worth checking out. It's such an amazing experience to leave with the art and take away all the words and you kind of let the art tell the story. Just, huh. just such You're a fun experience. the words weren't necessary to understanding what was going on in the Batman Spawn crossover? Well, you know, it's helpful. Words are always... Like, you come into my alleyway. No, you come into my alleyway. No, you come into mine. Don't you, you ruin this for me. You Don't come you into my it. alleyway. <laughs> this my was alleyway. great. Stop it. Pearls. This was great. Pearls. You, do, you don't get to hear any of the dialogue about how they both uh, like pearls or whatever. What's your mom's name? Oh, no. my God. Wait. Oh, no, I have a different mom. <laughs> that was my favorite part of that. It's sad yeah. that you missed that without the words. Yeah. If you'd like to support this podcast and all the podcasts, we do patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to podcast and YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about comic books. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at comic book live on Twitter, comic book club live on Instagram and TikTok, comic book club live.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the comic book shop.